So this week begins a very sacred and significant celebration of our faith as Christians. As we start preparing our hearts and our minds for Easter. As Joe mentioned earlier, there's a lot of wonderful things happening in our church this week in anticipation of Easter, and we want to encourage you to take the opportunity to participate in as many of those as possible. But boy, I, I can't just, I can't emphasize enough. If you have a friend, if you have a family member, a neighbor, coworker, who maybe church really isn't their thing, take the opportunity to invite them to Easter. People are much more inclined to accept an invitation to church on Easter and on Christmas. And you just never know how God might use that invitation and their participation in a service at Sybil Creek to light a spark, to start a journey in their faith. And you may be sitting here thinking, Paul, I have a friend that will never come to church. Great. A couple weeks later, we have this thing called Serving Sunday, where our church family goes out into the community and we serve all across our, our neighborhoods in a dozen different kinds of projects. They might be inclined to join you for that. So you start praying for your friends and you start extending the invitation to something that you think might be of interest to them. And you just never know how God might want to use you and your invitation to start something spiritual in their life. Make sense? So for several weeks now, we have been exploring this idea of encounters where people have had encounters with Jesus as we recognize them in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we've been asking the question, what can we learn from these encounters that people had with Jesus that might be instructive to our own encounter, our own relationship with Jesus? And so we've been looking at like encounters where people had extended conversations with Jesus about faith, or he had a relationship with them that might be described as a friendship and he engaged them around something that was important for their life. And, and we're just curious, what could we be learning about our own relationship with Jesus through these examples that we see in other people's lives? But it's interesting so far in all of the encounters that we've looked at have been encounters between Jesus and one other individual. So we looked at uh, the encounter that Jesus had with the woman at the well, his encounter with Nicodemus, Matthew, Zacchaeus. Last week, a uh, week before last, we looked at his encounter with Martha. But today's encounter is different. Today, we're going to look at an encounter between Jesus and a crowd of people. Maybe several hundred people, maybe several thousand people in the crowd that has this encounter with Jesus. And it's interesting, there's no indication in the record to suggest that Jesus had any individual conversations with any people in that crowd. But I'll tell you this, people were talking. 
There was a lot of conversation going on. The crowd was abuzz about a question that everybody in that audience was curious about finding an answer to. I think the, count, the encounter itself raises one of the most important questions in all of life. For those of you who are seated here right now, to those of you who are online, to every person in history since the time that this encounter actually occurred. You ready to go there today? So, the encounter that we're going to look at today is with the crowd that was gathered for the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem for the Passover, or what Christians have historically referred to as Palm Sunday. Now, you might notice that I have the word triumphal entry in quotation marks. And here's why. In spite of what the Christian church has made of Palm Sunday for centuries, I'm going to suggest to you that the triumphal entry wasn't triumphant at all. In fact, it was a miserable failure. It might have been one of the most disappointing days in the life of Jesus other than the events surrounding his crucifixion. And I'm going to try to explain that to you here today. So we read of this entry into Jerusalem around the feast of Passover. We read about it in Matthew's account, chapter 21. It says, as they approached Jerusalem and they came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. Now, don't do that at home. Okay, that's, he's a professional. All right, Jesus understands things that you and I will never comprehend. Okay, try this with somebody's Lamborghini and you just say the Lord has need of it and it's not going to go well with you. So we read this, as the disciples went and they did as Jesus had instructed them and they brought the donkey and the colt and they placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. So you got the setting? Jesus and a donkey sitting on the back of it. And a very large crowd, again we don't know, several hundred, several thousand, Jerusalem would have been actually, would have been incredibly jam-packed full of people who had traveled for hours to come to the city for the celebration of Passover. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, laid them down in the streets, while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. They were making a carpet for Jesus on this donkey to ride into town. And the crowds that went ahead of him and those that follow shouted, oh, crowds surrounding Jesus on the donkey, they're shouting kind of typical um, Jewish celebratory sorts of chants. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked the question, who is this? Who is this that everybody's making such a big fuss about? And then listen to what 
Matthew tells us. You ready? The crowds answered, meaning this was the buzz on the street. This is what the collective conclusion was amongst all the people in Jerusalem. The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth up in Galilee. So that day in Jerusalem, everybody was astir with the question, who is this Jesus guy? The question buzzing through the crowd that day is, who's the guy on the donkey? What do we make of him? Now, unfortunately, I don't believe that the conclusion that the crowd made about Jesus and his identity in that moment is the same as what Christians have concluded about Jesus in this same moment for centuries. I think they came to a very different conclusion. You see, most, most people that day concluded that Jesus was a prophet from Nazareth up in Galilee. They didn't recognize him to be the Messiah. They didn't recognize him to be the savior of the world, the son of God come to earth. He was, he was a prophet. He was a prophet who had been born up in Nazareth. Remember in the gospels, one of the disciples, Nathaniel asked, has anything good come out of Nazareth? It was an unimpressive kind of place. Oh, this is Jesus. He was born in Nazareth up there in Galilee. He's, he's just another man. He has a birthplace. He's just a prophet. And you think about what you know regarding the Old Testament about how Israel treated its prophets. And what happened? Nine times out of ten, they got to not liking the prophet because of what the prophet had to say. So they ended up running them out of town or stoning them to death. They were just prophets. Jesus is just another prophet in a long line of prophets that Israel has run out of town when they started to get a little too personal with how they should be living their life. You see, I have a hard time believing that the crowd there that day truly recognized Jesus to be the long-awaited Messiah because how in the world do you explain that in just a few days later, that same crowd of people would be screaming, crucify him, crucify him. We have no king other than Caesar. How, how do you explain such a dramatic about face other than the fact that what was happening there on that road to Jerusalem wasn't what we've made it out to be? You see, it's possible that what's happening there in Matthew chapter 21 is, is theater at best. Just people pretending, oh, yeah, here's our Messiah, this, this prophet from up in Galilee, this, this guy riding on a donkey. Yeah, that's our Messiah riding into town on a donkey instead of, see, it just doesn't fit. It's possible that all of that was just mockery. That the crowd that day did not recognize Jesus to be the long-awaited Messiah that they'd been hearing about from their ancestors for centuries. This belief that God would send a deliverer, the Messiah, the anointed one who would come and he would set Israel free. And, and that's not the buzz that's in the room that day. Does that make sense? It's, it's just something for you to consider. It's a, it's a curveball because we, we've never really thought of Palm Sunday that way. Now, let's be reasonable. 
granted, there were a lot of people in that crowd that day, maybe several thousand people. So it's possible to imagine that there were a few people, there were a few people in the crowd that day, Jesus' disciples were there. There were some people who had been been the recipients of one of Jesus' many miracles. So it's possible that there was a small percentage of people in the crowd that day that did believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And they were honest and sincere in celebrating Jesus riding into Jerusalem and and recognizing him as the son of David and as the, the king of kings. So it's possible that in that crowd there was a small group of people. It's possible that in a crowd that size that day, there were, there were some people who, well, they didn't really know what to make of Jesus. They had some questions. They had some concerns. They, they had some objections. They, they, had, they had perhaps seen some of the miracles that Jesus had performed. Maybe they had been in the crowd when they had heard Jesus teach and they were struck with the authority with which he handled the Jewish scriptures. So maybe they were trying to sort it all out and make sense of like, yeah, who is this guy? Who is this rabbi? Who is this prophet from up in Nazareth? Really, I don't know what to decide. And then I can tell you, I can assure you that there were many people in the crowd that day that did not see Jesus as the Messiah at all. There would have been Pharisees present. And we know from the gospel record that the Pharisees refused to recognize Jesus as the Son of God come to earth, the Messiah Messiah and Savior of the world. So there was a lot happening in that crowd today. There was a very, very specific conversation happening in everybody's mind about who is Jesus. And I think that's what the passage asks. It asks the question, who is Jesus? That was a long time ago. But here's what I believe. That every time a preacher opens the passages of scripture where we read about this particular encounter, I think that once again, Jesus rides through a crowd. And the crowd's here in this room here today. This crowd's here online And once again, you are being asked or invited to consider the question, who is Jesus? That every year, about this time of year, preachers from all over the world ask the question to crowds just like you, who is Jesus? But they're asking this question, who is Jesus to you? Not to the crowd in Jerusalem that day, 2,000 years ago. The reading of this passage invites you to ask the question, who is Jesus to you today, right here, right now in the 21st century? And you know what? There's a couple of different options. There's probably two dozen different options that we could make. We're just going to look at four possibilities. Interested? It's possible that some of you in this room, some of you listening to my voice here, you've concluded that Jesus is an interesting and inspirational person from ancient history. That you have to give him that. That he's 
He's created a lot of talk for a long, long period of time. And some of what he has to say is very interesting and captivating. And some of it, it's very inspirational. But for you, he's not God. He's not the savior of the world. He's just another human character from a long line of popular people throughout history. He's interesting and inspirational. And that's what he is to you. It's possible that he's, in your mind, just the founder or the figurehead of a popular religion. There's Jesus, and there's Muhammad, and there's Buddha, and there's Confucius, and, and there's just a long line of people, Joseph Smith, and a long line of people throughout history who somehow stirred enough people to be interested in what they had to say that they would start to follow them and that blossom into some sort of a religion. I, I got some bad news for you. Never once did Jesus come to this earth and intend to start a religion. Wasn't even on his radar. He had no interest in starting a religion. He was, he was inviting a group of people to place their faith in him and who he said he was and to follow him. Follow him in a life of love and faith and humility and grace he was just looking for some followers. He, he wasn't interested in all the, the trappings of religious ritual and routine. But for some of you, that's the conclusion you've drawn. He's just another of many religious leaders. Maybe for some of you, you believe this, that God, Jesus is God come to earth, the, the savior of the world. And you believe that in a very kind of Christmas card-like fashion. That you're saying, yeah, that's what I've been hearing all my life. And I went to church and that's what they told me. And that's, that's the conclusion I made. That he, yes, he's God. He's come to earth and he died on the cross. And he made a payment for sin. And he's the savior of the world. But there's a fourth option. And I think it's the option. It's the option of this, that Jesus is my savior, not just the savior of the world, humanity in general. He's, he's my savior. I saw my need for help from God because of my sin. And when Jesus died on the cross, I see myself in that story and I needed the provision of Christ to be applied to my life. He's my savior and because he's my savior and I recognize him to be God come to earth, I, I believe he's the Lord or the king of my life. He's the boss. He's the one that I report to. And so here we are, Sunday, April the 2nd, 2023. And again, the question is being asked, who's the guy on the donkey? Who's the guy on the donkey? Because how you answer that question has significance for both this life and enormous significance for the life to come. And you say, oh, preacher, don't scare me with the life to come stuff. Yeah, your conclusion about the life to come probably indicates to me what your conclusion is about who the guy on the donkey is. It's a critical question that needs to be answered. Now, 
You guys, you guys with me? You understand where we are? So, there's like two dozen, two dozen different ways that I could go right now. What we do with the rest of this message. And so I very prayerfully ask God to show me what you want me to do today. So, here's what we're going to do. You know, I decided years ago, years ago, easily 15 years ago. I decided years ago, you know what? I, I can't make you do anything. I can't make you do anything. I don't have that kind of power or influence in your life. And you know what? I shouldn't have that kind of power or influence in your life. I don't even want that kind of power. Many of you here right now, you profess to be a, a person who's placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You invited Christ to be your savior. God is the only person in all of the world who should have that kind of power or influence in your life. I, I, I don't want it. So I'm going to suggest something here this morning. And what I've learned that the best that I can do is I can either interest you in something or I can invite you to something. So today I'm going to interest you in something, hopefully. And I'm going to invite you to consider doing something that perhaps you've never done in your life, certainly not as a practice. You ready? What if, just what if, every single morning that you got out of bed and got ready for your day, what if every single morning when you stood in front of the sink in your bathroom with a mirror in front of you, you know, you're, you're shaving, you're putting on your makeup, you're, you're combing your hair, you're, you're making sure your tie's straight. When you're, you're standing there in front of the bathroom mirror every single day, what if you took just a few minutes and you looked at that person looking back at you in that mirror. And if any of you are confused, that will be you. And you like really looked at them. Like you looked them in the eye. Every single morning, you looked at yourself in the eye and asked yourself the question, who will Jesus be to me today? Who will Jesus be to me today? What if every single day of our life we resolved that we would determine the question, who is Jesus to me? And then determine that I will live my life today with the choice that I'll make about who Jesus is. That when I go to work, I will work for my company. I will treat the other people that I work with. I will deal with my customers. I will deal with integrity and honesty. And in a response to the question, who have I decided Jesus to be to me today? 
What if every day that you embarked on a a new 24 hours that you would determine, I'm going to do my marriage today. I'm going to treat my spouse in the way that answers the question, who I believe Jesus is to me today. As a parent, I'm going to engage in the life of my children in response to the question of who I believe Jesus is today. I'm going to treat my friends. I'm going to treat complete strangers the person who helps me check out my groceries at the grocery store, the the person that I see at the other pump while I'm pumping gas, the person that I encounter just as I'm driving my car through traffic, I'm going to treat these strangers as an answer to the question of who I resolved Jesus would be to me this morning. You see, I have this concern as a pastor that oftentimes people consider the answer to the question, who is Jesus? And we always refer to something that we decided a long, long time ago. I, I invited Christ into my life when I, was, when I was in the third grade. I asked Jesus to be my savior when I was 23. Oh, I made a decision to become a Christian and follow Jesus when I was 47, and we always refer to something that happened a long time ago, a point in time, and and I'm not criticizing that. That's That's a wonderful milestone and an anchor for the decisions of our faith, but I'm talking about renewing every day, resolving every day of who Jesus will be to me today. I want to. I want to. I want to ask you to think about something. Let's take a little journey through the scriptures. Did you know that one of the most repeated words in all of the Old Testament is the word "remember"? Over and over and over again, God invites the nation of Israel to remember. Or the leaders and the prophets of the nation of Israel invite the nation to remember over and over again. Remember, remember, remember. And that that invitation to remember generally refers to two things. A lot of times the prophets were asking the nation of Israel to remember the covenant. You see, God and the nation of Israel had entered into a covenant. It's essentially what you read about in the book of Deuteronomy. That is the covenant. And God said this, I'll be your king, you'll be my people, and if you will obey me as your king, I will bless you. And so the prophets are constantly reminding the nation, remember the covenant, remember the blessings that God has promised if you'll remain submissive to his place in your life. Remember the covenant. The other way in which the word is most often used is to remember stories or accounts of God's faithfulness toward the nation of Israel. Particularly in the times that God was faithful in providing for the nation of Israel or protecting them. And over and over again, God invites the nation to remember that time? Remember that time that I came to your, your defense and I helped you and I protected you? Remember that time when you had such a dramatic need and, and I met that for you? Remember that? That's my faithfulness. Remember, remember over and over again. So think about it. One of the first commandments that God gives to the nation of Israel, he says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. 
respect it, revere it, make sure you never forget its significance. Every week, one day, you set aside to remember who God is. Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. Remember who God is. You may recall that when the nation of Israel was wandering around in the desert for 40 years, I don't know if you've ever put it together, but deserts are really lousy places to grow crops. So God miraculously provided a food source for the nation of Israel. It was called manna. Every day, God would provide this supernatural provision of food so the nation of Israel could eat. But God gave the manna with specific instructions. He said, I want you to only gather enough manna that will provide for that day's needs. In fact, if you gather too much and you try to hoard it all so that you'll have some for the next day, you just need to know that your manna will spoil overnight. It'll become infested with worms and it'll start stinking. Only exception was on the day of Sabbath. They could collect enough for two days. But did you ever stop to think why he gave them instructions to only collect enough for each day? It was part of a routine. And that was to get the nation of Israel to remember that it was God who provided for their needs every single day. Monday, they'd wake up. Oh, it's God who's provided this. Tuesday, oh, it's God who provided this. Wednesday, oh, it's God who provides this. Every single day to be caused to remember that everything that we have is from God. So don't let it be lost on you that centuries later, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, would you teach us to pray? And one of the lines that Jesus teaches them as a template for prayer is this. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. That we are once again called to remember that all that we have is from you. It's an interesting facet of the Old Testament where God instructs instructs the nation of Israel to take stones or boulders or rocks and to pile them in large heaps. There was no specific instructions about how the rocks were to be arranged. They were supposed to just take rocks from a particular vicinity, stack them on top of each other. And those rocks were always assembled at a place where God had been faithful to Israel to provide for them or to protect them. In fact, in the the Old Testament, we're instructed that these rocks would become a memorial to God's faithfulness to provide for the nation of Israel. In fact, it says this, that when your children, centuries later, years later, when your children would see these pile of rocks while you traveled, they'd say, Mommy, Daddy, what's that big pile of rocks for? And you were to rehearse the reminder, oh, oh, that was the day that God led us across the river Jordan. And he protected us and he provided for us. What? Another way of remembering. So we come into the New Testament. And Jesus establishes a practice. 
It was called the Lord's Supper in the first century. We often refer to it as communion, but it was a meal that Jesus instructed his disciples to observe, and then the disciples after that, and the disciples after that. And what were the instructions around communion? That as often as you eat this bread and as often as you drink this cup, do this in what? Remembrance of me. So I'm curious about I'm curious about how God invites his people to remember who he is. And and all all I'm inviting you today is to consider the possibility that every single day that you wake up, you look at yourself in the mirror and you remember You remember who you've decided Jesus is going to be in your life. Not something that happened 10 years ago, 25 years ago, 40 years ago, but every single day, taking the time to stop and remember. Who have I decided Jesus to be to me? Maybe it's in that act of looking at ourselves in the mirror and deciding once again, who will Jesus be to me today? Then we're capturing something about what Jesus taught when he said this, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Like as a matter of highest priority, every single day establish the place that Jesus and his kingdom, his rule in your life will have. Seek first. Seek before work. Seek before kids. Seek before yard work. Seek before all the things demanding your time and attention. Seek first the rule of God in your life. Later in the New Testament, we read this. Peter asked the church to set apart Jesus as Lord in your hearts. Determine once again who Jesus is to you. My observation, just just an observation as a pastor for 35 years now. My observation of many people who attend church, many many people who think of themselves as Christians, they they sort of do this with life. They, They have all these things all these things that take their time and their energy, like running kids around to baseball games and piano lessons and school and, and all the things. And, and, and they have, you know, they're either dating or they're married to somebody and all that comes with that. And, and I, I have my friends and I'm trying to, you know, nurture those relationships. I've got my hobbies. I play golf. I play tennis. I play pickleball. I run. I, I uh, Name your hobbies. Uh, you got this job that takes so much of your time, so much of your energy. In fact, it's often the first thing in our place of priority. We have a lifestyle that we're trying to maintain. We have, we have money that we're trying to manage. And somewhere in all of the things, we, we, have this, we have this sliver of our life that's faith. The place of Jesus. The place of God. The, the, the practice of church. And it's, but, but here's the deal. For most of us, it's just one of the many things that we, we have to tend to in our life. It's just one of the many things that we have, to, we have to give ourselves to. And I'll just tell you from an experience of, again, being a pastor. 
and being a follower of Christ. What I've recognized is that oftentimes in the, in the rat race to get all of this done, this section right here, faith, is the one that usually gets jettisoned first. This is the one that gets the leftovers of our time, our energy, and our money. But, but Jesus had something else in mind when he said, seek first the kingdom of God. You see, in his mind, our lives should look like this. That Jesus is at the center of all of it. It's, it's how we raise our kids. Jesus is how we do our marriage. Jesus is what we do to influence our friend. Jesus is, is the center of how we go about creating a balance between rest and relaxation with the other responsibilities of life. Um, Jesus is the first to receive our money, not the end of the month with, if we have some leftover. Jesus is at the center of our life. This right here is standing at the bathroom mirror every morning and deciding who is Jesus to me? Folks, I, I hope I'm not the first one to tell you this. But Jesus stands in a long line of loud voices clamoring for your attention and your affection. Every single day that you wake up, you literally have thousands of voices making their appeal to invite you to follow them. Seductive voices, sinister voices. Hey, don't, Jesus, that's so old-fashioned. Come, come follow me. That, that, sometimes that voice is wealth. Sometimes that, wealth, that, that voice is the voice of power and position. Sometimes that voice is, is popularity. Sometimes that voice is luxury and comfort and convenience. Here, come follow hard after me. Sometimes that voice is pleasure. If I've learned anything in my life, I've learned this. That the heart left unattended will always wander away from God. Your heart left unattended will never move toward Jesus. Your heart left unattended will always follow hard after the things that have nothing to do with who the guy on the donkey really is. So the question that all of us need to answer and determine and resolve to answer it every single day of our life is who is Jesus to me today? And only you can answer that. Make sense? Thanks for listening. Let me ask you to stand together. Before I pray for you, I want to remind you, encourage you. Invite somebody to come to church with you next Sunday for Easter. You just never know how God might use your invitation. If you're here today and you and I haven't had the opportunity to meet, I'd love to make your acquaintance. I'll be here at the front of the auditorium. Just come on up and introduce yourself. I'd love to get to know your name and find out a little bit about your story. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this record from the life of Jesus that
reminds us once again of this significant event where Jesus rides into Jerusalem and the crowd is abuzz about who exactly is the guy on the donkey. Because in rehearsing that account year after year after year, people all across the centuries get the opportunity once again to make a decision about who Jesus is. And here we are this morning, invited once again. And I pray for each person in this room. For those who are still confused or uncertain. Those with great big questions and concerns. I pray, Father, through the work of your spirit, you would draw them to a place of becoming convinced. Who Jesus is. Pray for every Christ follower in this room who's certain about their relationship with Christ. That it would be something that would be renewed and resolved every single day. To follow your son Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. Do that work in our midst. I pray and ask in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you everybody. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.